From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Well, welcome back to My Capital Idea, the podcast that's explicitly pro-capitalism from a moral perspective. This is where we explore the origins and principles of a free and prosperous society, the historical, economic, and ethical roots of capitalism, the only moral socioeconomic system known to humanity. I'm Mike Williams with the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Mitch Whitus. Say hello, Mitch. Hey, everybody. So uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about guns today, right? We're going to talk about guns. That'll be an interesting topic: guns, gun control, gun laws. How, what's that related to capitalism? That'll be kind of interesting to talk about. Um, I've been kind of looking forward to this for a while. But what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Uh, lots of summer traveling, which is nice. You know, now that the world is opening back up, I've made it up to the East Coast a little bit. Yeah, we're on the East Coast. Uh, out to Baltimore, New York City, nice places, but uh, I think I'll I'll keep my residence here in Colorado. <laughs> so is this like business travel or uh, yeah, it is. pleasure? Yeah, business. Are you doing anything fun while you're out there? You know, usually it's kind of in and out. I mean, of course, we have a little bit of fun, you know, get to go out at night and things like that, but um, I don't Like usually... go out and schmooze clients and stuff like that? Uh, you know, no, more like uh, see the restaurant scene, yeah. you know, th- things like that. But unfortunately, I don't get a lot of extra days to do a lot of the touristy sightseeing stuff. So what is that? I've been to Baltimore a couple of times. What is there in Baltimore? Well, we were on a suburb outside of Baltimore, but it was a very nice area. It's called Columbia. Uh, really great place and just beautiful. We were next to like this lake and uh, I- I'd never been to Maryland at all. So I can finally cross Maryland off of my list. Yeah, so how many is that now for you? I don't know. Enough. Are you keeping track? No. <laughs> I'm, I probably should. It's funny. I don't know if I told you this, but my, my mom had done 49 states. Did I already tell you this? No, I didn't know this. So my mom had done 49 states, and we all, we did a family vacation up to South Dakota, and uh, she had never been to North Dakota. Okay. So we were up in the Black Hills, you know, Mount Rushmore, and... Custer State Park and all those kinds of things. And we we, had, we rented a house as a family and, and really had a good vacation. But we were like, Mom, you gotta, we got it's only, you know, I don't know, an hour or two drive. Let's get, get you across the border and check that off the box. You know, check the box. Yeah. Get your 50th state. And she did it. So we had to wake her up and go early because we had other activities for that day. But uh, it well, was good. good for her. So you don't, that's not a goal of yours? Not particularly. Uh, it's a goal of mine. I want to check all the boxes. Yeah. I, I mean, part of me, I'm an achievement-oriented person, but. You know, there's a few states I don't, I don't have much interest in. <laughs> it's funny. In. <laughs> I was talking to somebody else about that last week, and they were saying, you know, certain states that they didn't really care to go to. What, what, what states are you going, ah, nah, I don't need, to, don't need to see it? Well, at risk of offending any of our listeners, Mike. I, you go know. ahead. We can offend people. We're going to offend people anyway on the gun control issues, right? <laughs> well, that's probably true. We're not doing our jobs if we don't piss somebody you off. You know, it's funny you bring up the Dakotas, uh, because I've been up to South Dakota. I have family there, so I've been there many times. But I just have no desire to go to North Dakota, because in my mind, it's the exact same as South Dakota. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, South Dakota does have the Black Hills. I mean, It, they, does, it has I mean, some those, character. Yeah, those, that's a pretty cool place. Yeah, I wasn't that impressed with North Dakota. I've been there a couple of times, and I agree with you. It's, there's not that much to see. But again, maybe there's more than we know, and maybe one of our listeners will point it out sometime. But let's get on to our topic of the day. So guns. 
you know, uh, the Second Amendment, that kind of stuff. It's kind of been in the, the news lately, although it seems like guns, gun violence, gun shootings, you know, shootings at schools, that's something that's been with us for a while now. It kind of goes, you know, goes away for a while and then it pops up as a bigger issue. Obviously, some high-profile mass shootings over the course of the summer. And then Congress passed this bipartisan bill in an attempt to address the gun violence. Um, but we wanted to talk about this from a perspective of someone who's advocating for free markets, for freedom, for capitalism. What's the relationship between someone who's advocating for free trade and commerce and business and those kinds of things? And what's the, what's the relationship between those kinds of things and, and this whole issue of gun control? Do you want to uh, talk any more about that or introduce the topic any more than that? No, I, I think that it's just a really emotionally charged subject for good reasons, right? As you mentioned, just over the summer, we've had some very high-profile mass shootings, one at an elementary school, and and these prompt people to say, what weapons should people be able to own? Why are some people able to get access to these weapons? And some people ask... Should people be able to own firearms at all, given that they can cause so much death and destruction and tear these communities apart? And and so I think rightfully so, it's in the news, and people are very emotional about it. But I think that this is going to be one of one of our more interesting topics that we've discussed because you don't often think of guns and capitalism. Or, or why those two would be connected. We've, we've often talked about capitalism here in terms of thinking about economics or regulation or things like that. But I think it'll be really interesting to bring that back to self-defense and, and your view, Mike, on how self-defense is related to the ability to own firearms. So uh, that's all I would say to, to tee up the conversation. Yeah, my view is pretty straightforward on this. Uh, I... I believe that uh, people absolutely own themselves and have a right to their bodies, their minds, and the property that they produce, and that means that they have a right to defend those things. Uh, and so I'm I'm a pro gun person, very much pro Second Amendment. Now, you know that's that can mean lots of different things. When people say, "Are you pro gun? Are you a gun nut?" You know, um, I definitely grew up with guns. I feel comfortable around firearms, hunting, target shooting, own several firearms. And so I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of the Second Amendment. But that also begs the question, you know, do, does the Second Amendment apply today? And what if there weren't a Second Amendment? Those kinds of issues. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Mike, because I, I don't personally have a, a lot of firearms, but I, I would consider myself a... Well, what's a lot? I mean... Well, you know, I mean, I don't just have 20 or 30 laying around. You know, I don't, I don't collect them like that, Mike. But I think where I, I would have maybe considered myself a, quote, Second Amendment supporter, I, I want to call myself something different. Like, I believe in the right to own a firearm. And, and I think I want to be able to figure out a way that that's separate from the Second Amendment. Because I think you, you hinted at, at this topic a little bit of the Second Amendment is in the Constitution, and that's what so much of the topic is about. So you, you go to the National Rifle Association website, and they talk about a lot of things on their website, to be fair. Education about firearms, things like that. But 
you you get to their about section and they say our successes would not be possible without the tireless efforts and countless hours of service our nearly 5 million members have given to champion second amendment rights so here in the united states firearms and second amendment are so intertwined and for me i wonder you know even if there were no second amendment how would i describe myself and so maybe you can help me with that mike well, I think, I think, again, it's a simple answer, although maybe it sounds too abstract, but um, I would describe myself as pro-individual rights. Uh, that's, that's the integrating factor that makes uh, someone an advocate for capitalism and freedom. The person who says, well, yeah, each individual has a right to their own life, their own liberty, their own pursuit of happiness, their mind, their products, their life. You know, They have a right to their life. And by consequence, uh, they have every right to protect it. That doesn't give them the right to violate anyone else's rights. Um, but owning a gun, owning an, an inanimate object uh, is not a violation of anyone's rights. But that's where it gets more complicated and say, okay, well, maybe it isn't guns that kill people or guns that cause such death and destruction as you talked about before. It's definitely people behind those guns. But these are instruments you know, for... These are tools uh, for specific purposes, um, although I, I think it's unfair for people to say I've heard so, some people who I agree with on a lot of a lot of issues, but but say, well, that is the purpose of a firearm to, to cause death and destruction. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I can understand that is the roots of the development of firearms. But today there's a whole sporting community, people who shoot, who have no intent to, to kill or harm anyone else. And it's, it's definitely a sport. Yeah, and since we've talked so much about the Second Amendment, you know how much I just love to quote primary sources on this podcast, Mike. Sure. So, just so we're all on the same page. Here's the actual text of the Second Amendment. It says, A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, that's one of the more popular amendments, so I'm sure listeners have heard that before. But it's good to get a reminder of what this actually says. And what I'd like to ask you, Mike, you talked about Congress has passed one bill. Recently, the House of Representatives also passed a bill to Well, ban. more than one bill. I mean, well, gun laws are on the books and have been on the books for much more than the Second Amendment have been on the books uh, on the federal and state levels for decades. We have, we have many, many, many gun laws, many, many laws that are designed to restrict who can own guns, when they can own them, what kind of firearm they can own. So there's a lot of gun laws in the books. But you're right. Recently, there's been more, as we mentioned, a bipartisan bill that was attempting again to address the, the gun violence that we've seen. Sorry, yes. I interrupted you. Though. So I was going to say the, the House of Representatives recently passed a bill to ban um, some semi-automatic weapons again. Um, it doesn't seem like it has much hope in the Senate, but a similar ban was in effect in the U.S., um, during the 90s and the early 2000s, but it expired around 04. So, you know, a lot of this has been in the news. And what I wonder is, Mike, if we didn't have a Second Amendment, would we have the right to bear arms? Of course we would. I mean, this is one of the major debates that happened at the Constitutional Convention. And many of the founders were very reluctant to even have a Bill of Rights in the first place. Um, I don't know if this is the direction you wanted to go, but but the amendments, the first 10 amendments are referred to as the Bill of Rights. And as I said, many of the founders thought it was really a boneheaded idea to actually, quote, enumerate these rights. Because the problem is when you say, okay, we're going to name 
certain rights in the Constitution that all Americans have, then if you forget to name one, does that mean you don't have a right to it? Yeah. And that, that is a potential mistake of enumeration or of naming specific rights. But they felt so strongly. And there were certainly people like Patrick Henry was a big advocate for making sure that they had a Bill of Rights. You know, he wouldn't support a constitution if they didn't have a Bill of Rights attached to it. And that's a debate they had. But of course, anyone who understands the intent of the founders, most of the constitution was designed to protect the freedoms of the people and to restrict the actions of the government. Um, so the answer is, even if you didn't have a Second Amendment or a First Amendment for that, for that matter, or any amendment, any Bill of Rights at all, um, the Constitution would be to protect your rights as individuals and to restrict the government's actions to only, in a proper sense, protect those rights. No, I completely agree with that, Mike. I think ultimately the Constitution, right, is a means to an end, that that end is securing our liberty, recognizing individual rights. Whatever we can do to ensure that the Constitution does that, I think that's the question. And so that's maybe where my, I don't, I don't think it's irritation, but I, I've started to become more cognizant about everybody saying that they're a Second Amendment supporter when I don't think that's really what they mean. I mean, of course, they, I, I understand they support the Second Amendment, but what do they mean, mean is that they're— Do you they're, mean that they're uh, too much of a one-issue person? No, no, I don't mean that, but I mean they're pro-individual rights. Because I think if people get so hung up on, on Second Amendment, Second Amendment, if, that, if there's an amendment to take away the Second Amendment, that doesn't make it right. No, and then right. what do you call yourself? <laughs> that's correct. You know, so, and that would be true of any of the other amendments. You know, right. More importantly, the First Amendment. I, I think the founders got this right as far as order. And I actually, I, I actually again, I'm, I am a— Huge advocate. It sounds like this is a little bit different perspective than you have. I would call myself a huge advocate of the Second Amendment in the sense of, of protecting that specific right to bear arms and defend yourself. But good Lord, you've got to be much more uh, an advocate of the First Amendment. We aim on this podcast to arm people, and we don't mean that literally. We're not out there telling people to go buy guns. What we're trying to do is arm them intellectually and morally to be able to defend their right to their life. Or, in other words, to defend individual rights. That's the kind of system that we're telling people they should champion. That system that's an unknown ideal, in Ayn Rand's words, the system known as capitalism, we're trying to arm them intellectually to defend that system. And, of course, the most important of those, you know, between the, the First and Second Amendments, is the right to free speech, which means really the right to think freely, to not censor your, even your own thoughts, let alone have someone else censor what you say. But both of them... Are crucial. Uh, I think the founders thought about this a lot. They, th they did write a lot about guns. They wrote a lot about firearms and, and the necessity of being able to defend yourself from criminals and so forth, but mostly from tyrannical government. And that's where people will have a hard time even making that integration today is, well, you know, what are you going to do? You got your little pistol or you got your firearm or even you have your, you know, your AR or assault, quote, <laughs> assault weapon. How are you going to defend yourself from a government that has nukes or, you know, uh, F-16s and uh, tanks and so forth. And that isn't the point. The point is that the founders recognized that to be a free person, you had to be able to hold your government accountable or defend yourself from a tyrannical government and to be able to do that. And that begs the question, then, okay, well, what, what does a person have a right to own? What kind of firearm or what kind of arsenal does, does an individual, uh, being a free citizen in a free country, what are they able to own? 
That was my next question for you, Mike. So the bill that did pass Congress and the bill that was signed into law by President Biden recently, it strengthens background checks. It tries to close some loopholes in regards to domestic violence. It allocates some money for crisis intervention programs, supporting red flag laws, those sorts of things. Do you view any of that as a legitimate role of government? Are background checks legitimate or are red flag laws legitimate? And maybe describe red flag laws too. So my view on red flag laws are um, actually in both cases, background checks and red flag laws are maybe a little more nuanced. Um, my understanding of a red flag law is basically, can you expedite the process of taking someone's guns away? Someone who, uh, who someone believes is a threat to other people. So you have a gun owner and he is talking uh, violently and talking about uh, going to shoot a school up or something like that. Can, can we go ahead and take his guns away before he does that? Can we be preemptive in our actions? And the, the, the key thing here is, can we have that kind of a law that would you know, potentially save lots of lives, lots of maybe school children's lives, but not violate the, the whole issue of due process? I mean, what it means to have a free country and what it means to be a free citizen is that you have a right to be free and to not be accused of a crime uh, without being, having some due process. And there is the issue of, you know, well, this person is acting this way. But red, red flag laws seem to, so far, the way that I've seen them written, they seem to be able to skirt the issue of due process and, and allow for, you know, ex-spouses to say, well, my nutty wife is going to go off and shoot somebody. So take her guns away. And well, I not I usually shoot somebody, shoot me. Yeah, shoot me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be that. It might be shoot me. It might be someone else. It might be, you know, this person is dangerous to uh, society in general or to, the, or to himself or herself. Um, but the question is, is there evidence? You can't just, I mean, the, one of the concepts of the rule of law in the United States, and I think the United States is in a sense unique. This is, had, had been developing in fits and starts throughout Western civilization from the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. But the idea of a person being innocent until proven guilty, and I think that's a crucial aspect of our law, the rule of law. And if if you don't retain that aspect of saying that, you know, you actually have to have some evidence, you have to have proof that this person is either has either you know committed a crime or violated someone else's rights or is about to, then you're just making arbitrary claims about that person and. That, I think that that's a much worse threat than than the potential of someone having firearms and, and doing some damage. I want to expand on this a little bit more because we focused a lot on red flag laws, and I don't want to make it just a conversation about red flag laws. I want to make it a little bit more broad. What, if anything, do you think what, – what authority does the government have to regulate, quote-unquote, firearms in the United States? Should people be able to own whatever they want? Um, I, that's another good question, and I think my view is nuanced. I don't, I don't think an individual citizen should be able to own a tank or a nuclear bomb. Do I think individual citizens should be able to own semi-automatic weapons? Absolutely. Uh, do I think they should be able to own automatic weapons? Potentially. I've thought about this a lot, uh, and I don't know if this is a really good formulation, and it isn't original to me, but I've heard someone say, if you look at the spirit and the intent of the Second Amendment and all of the writings that the founders had, and more importantly, what makes sense in the context of saying, 
a free citizen has a right to protect himself, him or herself, and especially against a tyrannical government. The idea is that a individual citizen should be able to be armed as well as a basic soldier infantryman. And we certainly have soldiers who, who are able to carry automatic rifles. Um, and I think that makes sense. You know, they don't, the, the infantryman doesn't himself have a tank and doesn't have a bazooka and doesn't have uh, a nuclear bomb, but he's well-armed. And I think it makes sense for the individual citizen to be able to arm himself that well. So where is the line drawn at what protects your individual rights? So an assault rifle protects your individual rights, but um, a tank does not protect your individual rights. Well, the tank itself is uh, designed for much bigger destruction, right? But people could say the same thing with an assault rifle versus a handgun, right? That's true. That's true. So where's the line? Well, and that is the key that, that, you know, where is that principle? The line needs to be drawn at a principle. And the principle in this case would be that this kind of goes back to, in my mind, and again, I don't, this is not that clean yet uh, in terms of my formulation. I mean, there may be some people who are more uh, gun advocates or philosophical advocates of the right to defend yourself um, who've thought about this more than I have. But if the principle is that the individual citizen has a right to defend themselves against a tyrannical government, then they have to be able to have somewhat useful weapons in that case. And it's interesting. People, people say, well, it's a, whole, it's a whole different thing now. We've got nuclear weapons. We've got the people who are very much for very strict gun control say, you know, okay, you can have your musket. You can have your black powder musket or whatever they had at the time of the, the founding. Uh, that's not looking at the principle. The principle is looking at, you know, does the citizen have the right to defend themselves in, in, in an adequate way? Um, and I think it's reasonable for a citizen to be able to have uh, a rifle that, that uh, can fire more than one round in a minute. And we spoke about at the beginning how this is an emotionally charged issue, Mike, but I think, I know I've had discussions with people about the Second Amendment, and, and I've heard discussion recently, people say, well, that's great, you have your right to self-defense, and meanwhile, some crazy person is able to go out there and now 20 school children are dead because you believe that these weapons should be available. Well, it's not that the, you believe these weapons should be available. The question is, you know, again, is it the weapon itself that's causing the threat? Um, and I would submit that it's not. It's, it's a, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, the thing that stops a, a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And that's a fact. Um, you know, we have all these... Uh, I mean, you could call them elites. You could call them uh, legislators and congressmen and politicians and athletes and and Hollywood people. But people who uh, are saying that no one out there should have these guns are the ones who are most protected by such guns. Maybe it's their bodyguard. Maybe that maybe they're not the actual one who's carrying. But um, I think that's hypocritical. Um, and so again, it isn't the inanimate object that's a tool that's the threat. It's a person that's a threat. It's a person with a bad idea, a person who's willing to violate other people's rights. And that's partly the bigger issue here. And we, you know, this episode isn't really designed to go into the psychology or the cultural forces that we have right now of what's causing uh, these school shootings. Um, I, I hope to have 
uh, sometime to talk about that in more detail, uh, maybe with some guests who have more expertise than I do, because I, I absolutely think that, you know, it's a cultural problem. It's not a gun problem. Um, hey, we, well, we've had access to guns for all of our history. And the more laws that we've put on the books over the last several decades have somehow been concurrent with an increase in school violence or, or mass shootings. Although I, I would want to make sure that people are aware. I think that the factual evidence is that for, for a number of years, we, uh, large scale mass shootings were going down in numbers. Um, they, they maybe get more media attention, but the actual numbers were going down in this country for a while. Yeah. And I, I think that there is some validity to to that idea, Mike, that there is something, there's like a cultural disease right now. It seems like ever since the Columbine shooting in 99, you know, we've just become accustomed to occasional and now somewhat frequent mass shootings. Not to say that there weren't mass shootings before Columbine, but ever since then, that seems to have been kind of a new era. And so I, I agree with that. I just want to play devil's advocate because everybody appreciates a little tension, Absolutely. right? So, and again, this is something I have heard from people that I've spoken to. I say, well, right, so more laws have been put on the books, but at the same time, gun violence is still increasing. But you could say without a doubt, a dangerous person, a bad person with a knife, they just have the potential to do a lot less damage than somebody with an assault rifle. And so what do you as a capitalist, I mean, how do you, how do you answer that on the emotional level for these family members who, who maybe have lost a loved one to, to gun violence? They say, well, you know, that's, that's great that we think we should have assault rifles, but I mean, my, my child's individual rights were violated because of that. Well, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't violated. Their child's individual rights weren't violated because someone had access to a gun. They were violated because someone bad did something bad with a gun. But they would say if that person had a knife, then they would have had a lot less ability to cause damage. And and you're the one who's bringing up the issue of knives. I mean, I, 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 and I've heard that argument before, but I, I would say, the likelihood, and, and I think this has been factually proven, the likelihood in the case of more restrictive access by law, access to firearms, you still have criminals who will break laws. They don't respect laws in the first place. So they're going to access those firearms in the first place. You're going to have a lot fewer people able to defend themselves. And what what goes unreported in the media is the literally millions of instances of someone who's using a firearm to defend their own person and property. You don't get, I mean, if you want to have, if you actually want to have a balanced argument and you talk about it being emotional, and this is partly why it's an emotional thing for, for people who can make more than an, you know, a one step or one instance case that's being, you know, very much reported on the media rationally. So, um, but you don't see those instances, all those thousands or, like I said, literally millions of instances of someone who stops a crime from happening or stops a violation from happening because they actually are armed. And that's the kind of balanced argument that we're missing. So this also gets to, I have heard this so much. Why do people need an assault rifle or why do they need X? Why do they need Y? How do you answer that? 
Um, I mean, as a principled capitalist, how should we answer that? Well, as a principled capitalist, you what you do is defend an individual right to own property and any kind of property that you want. Owning property does not necessarily def- uh, violate anyone else's rights. My owning a an AR rifle, um, my owning a semi-automatic weapon, because that's basically what's legal today, is not de facto a threat to anyone else's rights. Well, and I always say if we start getting down to the question of what do people need, quote unquote, I mean, I don't need 99% of the things that I probably have in my life right, on a right. day-to-day basis, right? right? And we don't want government defining what we need. Right. That's definitely a, a, a wrong turn <laughs> if, we're, if, we're, if we're talking about, although that, that is oftentimes the person who will make that same argument in the case of guns, will make that same argument across the board for other people though. I mean, mm-hmm. you see that, we say that in lots of instances where people will say, why do they need, why do you need an SUV? Um, why do you need, you know, why do you need to be able to eat at five-star restaurants? Why, do you, why can't we all uh, be more, have more equity, which means a race to the bottom? Why don't we all have less? Um, and that is a philosophical viewpoint that, that uh, more and more is part of our culture. And I think that's, I actually think that's part of even, even related to the gun issues. Um, uh, the bigger part of that is why do we have a culture right now that accepts force, that accepts force as a way to solve problems? And that use, that term of force is not very well understood for most people, but government itself is force. And, and every time the government makes a regulation or makes a law, it's basically saying we're going to enforce this, we're going to use force, which means I'm Ultimately, we might have a guy with a gun who will come and make sure you do something or take you away to jail or take your stuff by force of gun. And it starts in the school systems. You know, we have mandatory attendance uh, and we have uh, mandatory tax payments, uh, government funded schools. And, and you have all this cultural implicit and explicit use of force that kids learn about from day one. They're told they're free, and they're told they live in a democracy, and they're told that they're told all these stories about you know what kind of society they have, but then they see the hypocrisy of the exercise of force against them or or their uh, fellow students, and and that's part of the problem is we don't have a consistent view on what it means to be a free and civilized society. And you know, Mike, how I. Well, first of all, thank you for letting me play devil's advocate here for a little bit. But, you know, I also like to leave the audience with maybe some some tangible follow-ups or or advice that, that you can leave with us. And I know what a lot of us, for lack of a better term, Second Amendment defenders get a lot of questions about a lot of things we've talked about here today. Why do you need such and such weapon? Well, then what do you propose we do? So from your perspective, Mike, you know, we know that we are having kind of an epidemic of mass shootings and, and violence. I, I would I would challenge that. I would challenge that. Well, I know I know it's been reported widely in the news and, and it's very tragic when you see that kind of an event. But epidemic is a is a strong word uh, to use for what has been, for the most part, uh, a um, a phenomenon that's been going downhill in terms of incidences, except for the last year. And and I would act, I would actually say, I mean, prior to COVID, mass shootings were going down in numbers. 
Now, since we've had COVID, and, and again, that's another example of where we saw the use of force, the use of government force to restrict behaviors. Now, it was done in the name of an actual real pandemic, um, but it had all kinds of ripple effects across our society, including more violence, more suicide, more mental illness. And you can't just, uh, you can't just say, you know, we have a gun violence epidemic in a vacuum. We have to say that, you know, okay, are, are there other contributing factors to what's going on here? Well, of course. But I mean, living in Colorado, we have seen a lot of gun violence here in the past 20 years. In my life, I would say there is an epidemic of gun violence here in Colorado, a disgusting amount. We've had the Aurora Theater shooting, Columbine. Arapahoe. Uh, no, I, yeah, I'm not. Several others. So, but as supporters of, of gun rights, as we say, we get these questions a lot. You know, well, what do you think we should do about it? Or how do you defend that? So from your view, Mike, as a principled gun owner, what is government's role in, or, or, or if any, in passing bills that strengthen background checks? Or you already spoke about red flag laws. Aren't yeah, we, and we, I, didn't, we, I, did, I kind of skipped over the background checks. And, that, and that's what I struggle with. I think, I do think uh, there, there's a couple things is, should we have federalism and you know state level gun laws, or should we have a federal law? Should we have a federal law about the age of majority, and should we have a federal law about the age of majority and the ability for a young adult to decide they're going to purchase a firearm? Those are good questions. Those are real questions. Um, I do think again, it goes back to a more complicated answer because I think we have. Partly because we're using more and more force, we have less freedom in our culture, and therefore young adults sense that, see the hypocrisy, and sometimes in rare cases act out upon that. But you also have this issue of people not growing up. We don't have adults. We have people who, you know, who go well into their 30s or 40s or maybe never actually become responsible for their lives. They're, they're, they're uh, told what to do from day one. And they never are able to do any independent thinking and independent action. And they, they don't have self-esteem. They don't become actual, real, adult, functioning people uh, dependent upon themselves for their own survival and thriving. And I think that's a major issue. Um, so I think it's important in terms of the background checks to be able to say, should this be something that is dealt with on a federal level or a state level? Ultimately, the answer to the question, what is government's role in fill in the blank, in my view, and I think this is, is reasonable, uh, has to be the only job for government is to protect individual rights. And then you come back to that emotional argument of a, of a parent saying, well, I want the individual rights of my child protected. And that's right. They should. Uh, the, the government's job is to protect the individual rights of everyone. Um, there are, you know, there are these solutions that people on the right come up with and say, well, arm the teachers. You know, make sure that every teacher, every school has, has some kind of uh, uh, armed administrator or teacher or all of the above uh, who can defend those children. Um, and on the left, we're saying, well, just take the guns away. And I yeah. don't think either one of them is really addressing the, the, the fundamental issue. Right. Uh, the fundamental issue is why, why does this happen? Why does this happen in the first place? Why do you have uh, people want to do this kind of destruction? And it's, it's, it's a philosophical force. It's a moral philosophical force in our culture right now. They, you have individuals who are responsible for their behavior, but what creates a culture that allows or 
encourages and, and actually uh, um, fosters this kind of sickness. And, and I think that's a deeper, the deeper issue. And government itself is not going to ultimately solve the problem. Its job and its only job is to, to actually defend individual rights. And to the extent that it, it can, it has to do that. Now, you can't do that and violate other people's rights at the same time. That's a contradiction. So that's where you get into, well, if a, if a young adult has, has become the age of majority, whatever that is, should they be able to purchase a firearm to defend themselves? I say yes. Is it rational to say they sh- there should be some kind of background check? I think probably so. Um, one of the biggest issues on this, and this, you know, when I was uh, in my teens, again, I, I grew up with firearms. I grew up shooting, and I, like many people, kind of watched what was going on in the world, and, and maybe it was, you know, listening to my uncles or my dad or people in my family say, you know, they're going to they're gonna come for our guns someday. You want to you wanna keep an eye out for that. Or they're going to put your name on a list. And I still have that sort of fear that our government is, is wanting to control us. And I think the history of the world shows that uh, authoritarian, tyrannical governments do want to disarm their citizens. And so if you're talking about background checks and keeping lists and saying, okay, who are the people out there that have guns? They're the ones we have to worry about the most. Now, in, in reality, my view and my experiences, and again, I, I have plenty of experience with this, the people who own firearms are the most responsible. They're the adults. They're the ones who don't want violence. Yeah, that's my experience as well. Yeah. Um, now, does that mean there are, are some crazy people out there? Well, there are, um, but you're not going to prevent that. So are, are background checks rational? I think probably so, but I think we have to be very vigilant as a people, as a free people, in saying, what is the purpose of this? Is it to actually incrementally make people uh, less responsible for themselves and, and to, to give them some illusion that they're being protected? all the while incrementally taking their guns away, their rights away, um, I'm fearful of that. And I think any person, any rational, freedom-loving person should be fearful of that kind of government control. So what's our final takeaway, Mike, from today? I would say the final takeaway is make sure that you are uh, educated about the, the purpose of the Second Amendment, but more importantly, understand the purpose of government in the first place. And that comes back to that whole issue of of job one, job two, job three, job 25 of any reasonable government is to protect individual rights. And that's the principle that should be implemented. And then you get more complicated in actually trying to trying to apply that to specific, specific issues. And Mitch's bonus takeaway, don't just be a Second Amendment supporter, be an individual rights supporter. You got it. I agree with you. <laughs> Excellent point. Well said, Mitch. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We are hopeful that you got something out of it. And if you did, share it with other people. Check out our website at defendersofcapitalism.com and feel free to make suggestions on other topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Thank you and have a good day.